Hello and welcome to Lost in the Story. My guest today is an actor, writer, and director. We'll have seen his work playing Ian Schoenfeld in Huge, First Class Geek in Con Man, Cameron in Insecure, Sylvester Dodd in Scorpion, and the voice of Orson Welles in The Martian Broadcast. He also wears about 5,000 different hats, as you must in Hollywood. Please welcome Ari Siddham. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Nope, Good no to problem. see you. Good to hear you. Thanks for, thanks for bringing me on, Wesley. Of course. Uh, so, Ari, my question to you is what to you makes a great story? My personal favorite thing to see in a story um, is probably characters that have more definition than people that, you know, I, I know personally. Like, I think I know a lot of people, like, from work, so I don't really, like, know them deeply, who they are, or, like, get a, a look into their eyes or into their lives, really, without, like, trying to or setting up time to do that. And I, I think a lot of people on Earth are like that, right? Where they don't really connect with the people closest to them because, like, they're usually closest to people who have, like, a common goal. Normally, it's, like, work, you know? Uh, so I, I like to see stuff where you get to get, get to know somebody. And I like, you know, I like watching movies about people who I wouldn't be friends with, people who are pretty bad, just to, you know, remind people that we're all human and even the worst of us has, you know, capability to be good. So I'd say, yeah, uh, strongly defined characters, a redemption arc. How basic is that? I just want everything to be lame is. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's true. I'm a, I'm a sucker for basically those, like, fundamentals. You know, I just don't want it to be boring. I think a lot of people are, like, tied to Campbell or even, like, at page eight, it needs to be like this, and there needs to be a big moment that happens by page 12 to make sure that everybody's for sure into the movie and we're crossing the threshold. Like, you know, everybody's got their eight-part, nine-part, 17-part, you know, page breakdown, save the cat sort of shit. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, like, all of it's true. Like, figuring out, you know, what you like, though, and, and what what you think the experience of a story is best dressed as I think is like also what I want to see from a story is like what the storyteller puts into it you know I think a lot of people maybe think that's flair but that's how people pass on themselves through the art of storytelling which I think is never going to be passe I think it's chill I think that's like what filmmaking is and songwriting and all of it is like that element you know the element of personalized design so those, so the quiet moments, the moments where that are reflective, where you see sort of more of the inner life of that character, that's the sort of thing that you like to see, especially, you know, you don't see those things a lot in blockbusters. And when you do, you're like, oh my God, this is so delicious. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to know like them. I yeah. want to know like what, what makes them tick, what makes it worth watching them, you know, not just like at a Buzzfeed level, you know, but there is a wonderful short film can't remember the exact title of it but it's it sort of goes like ex cult member hears music for the first time hmm. it's something like that and it's uh like a vice sort of interview and documentary it starts out as like a nicely produced in the hollywood hills sort of documentary where it's an ex cult member she's sort of off and she's talking about how she's nervous to hear music for the first time and then like she hears music and then the film totally like becomes a BTS film. It like hmm. changes and like what happens sort of dictates the rest of it and it becomes like an absurdist 
sort of surrealist great thing. And I think like they, they did a good job of subverting that where, you know, it's a title that I think a lot of people want to want to click on, but it's because ex cult member, you yeah. know what I mean? Here's music for the first time that paints a picture of a human being that you want to, it's, it's click at least look at you it's clickbaity like, in a in a way, but in in a way that you're like, that that seems interesting though. I yeah. I'm sort of, but it also speaks to the hunger within us to yeah. re-experience those experiences that we didn't know could be contextualized to have value in the cyber world, right? So mm-hmm. like, you know, if I knew that it was like a thing to like hear music for the first time or hear the Beatles for the first time. And I could like get a bunch of hits on YouTube by doing that. Yeah. yeah. You know, would I, if I had the opportunity to delete that memory or if I was five years old right now and I'd never heard reggae before, you know what I mean? It's so funny because I know there are people who don't watch this sort of stuff, but I get a, a very weird and, and satisfying catharsis watching those sort of reaction videos because I want to communally experience that thing. I mean, especially in the last year we've had, but even before then, I like to, it's because, you know, you get to see their emotional, visceral reaction to a thing for the first time and you get to go, oh, I felt that too. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, we, we've become addicted to that as what content is, right? How yeah. we, how we um, ingest our content uh, there's just a big gap between that, which is sort of like video, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then storytelling, which, you know, a lot of people would just at this point say are superhero films or big budget return to forms of our directors of the 70s and then the Andersons, you know? I haven't really, we haven't seen a Coen Brothers movie in now three years, you know? Was the last one where they did all the stuff on Netflix? Yeah. Last one was Buster Scruggs. And I, I just think about the Coen brothers and I go like, they brought us Lebowski. Mm-hmm. They, br- they brought us so many incredible films and like the movie going audience basically like, we'll go see them, but there's mm-hmm. nothing we can do to like thank them or save them. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I feel bad. I feel so, bad. Cause we, I've had this, con- I had this conversation with someone else on here about this, but I think there are definitely those movies, the superhero ones, which I love dearly, but I know there are a handful of them that are just very schlocky and don't really get to the point. But then I think I think of like MCU, which overall think about thinking about what they did building up that story over twenty three movies and now they're doing like these deep dives on like trauma after death and I think it's I think it's interesting because I think what we would have viewed as very schlocky throwaway entertainment has now grown to the level in some cases of hitting those emotional moments. Like I cried at parts of Endgame, I cried at parts of Infinity War. And but I also understand that they're big blockbuster movies that can detract from, you know, your your indies or your mid budget movies. I think there's space for both, but I th- I think there's value. In it. I think I think you got to give to get. I think yeah. um, the the main thing about these Marvel movies, you know, it's basically an Anthony Mackie quote. We, he said it at something in 2017. I don't remember, but the quote is that people don't go see movie stars anymore. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's why Michael Sarah movies aren't in theaters. Um, <laughs> you know, it's because the way it changed. You know, while while we were growing up, Wesley was 
you used to be able to see like the comedy guys in big comedy movies, right? And those yeah. could still sell. Um, so every now and then you'll see a Seth Rogen, you know, you'll see all these Adam Sandler Netflix movies. But you used to be able to see Stallone film, you know? You would go and see the Sandra Bullock movie, you know? You would go and see Ke the Keanu Reeves flick. It wasn't like you're going to go see X-Men. Mm. I'm going to go see Spider-Man. So like the bankable part of it, right? It's no longer the human connection to the artist who was the actor or figurehead, whatever you want to call it. Now it's like, it's the character. It's the entity. It's the IP. The IP is the king. Um, so yeah, it, it makes sense that Marvel has now moved to television in a big, bad way. And, you know, WandaVision is literally, I mean, like, look at, look at what it's doing to the competition. It's literally they're being those shows <laughs> they're doing what the shows are at higher production level. And then the, they have a return to form within it. It's like, it's like cinema on crack. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't think Scorsese was right. Like I have respect for it. I feel like, yeah, you know, Marvel film is like actually the storytellers on Adderall, like answering what cinema was like, I think it's a rebirth in a big bad way to keep on quoting Kevin Smith. If you don't realize that's what, well, that's what I'm doing when I say it, because um, we're talking about comic book stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just feel like, especially with movies like Joker um, and how mm -hmm. the DC universe has sort of got a spray and pray method with what they're doing and what they're green lighting. I just feel like artists who are okay with pitching fucking with old IP, now's a great time for them, you know? Yeah. Because if you can get in there and say, hey, I want to take this superhero that everybody knows and do something really artful with it, you might be able to get in there, you know? Obviously, like, the amount of action scenes and the type of action scenes are chosen by a Senate of designers and storytellers in Marvel. And regardless of what the director or the writer wants, like all those moments are going to be put in the script because it's decided by the brain trust that is Marvel. Um, so there's sort of a plug and play element to all of their movies for directors and for creatives. But that's not to say that they don't have the ability to use that artistry and place it where it might fit best. You know, I, I always have been positive that the movie Super is why James Gunn was able to come into the Guardians of the Galaxy and like yeah. change the game. And Super is just a super accessible movie to any filmmaker. You know, if you build a super suit and get a couple of good people with an all right camera, you could shoot a movie like that tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that's, that's the beauty of the Marvel uh, uh, universe is that you know, it's it's making room for their directorial voices, their storytelling voices, without giving up the branding. And yeah. that's, I think, where DC's sort of fallen short, to be honest. They don't want to keep the unification. And a lot of times they'll let the directors dictate it, but it's like, it's a different era. You know, we're in the era of like, we want the old stories retold. And we, yeah. want, it, we want it to be done in the way that we like, which is at like the top of our technological game. And like... You know, I, I just think it's it's foolish to, like, not listen to the marketplace. So, yeah, I see DC trying to reinvent the wheel. I see everybody trying to reinvent the wheel. And it's like, to answer your question, is there a place for all this stuff? I don't know if there's a place for these mid-sized movies. I don't know if there's a place for a movie that's made for $17 million. I just don't think there is. I don't think there's a marketplace where they can make that money back. 
Um, and I don't think it's the type of thing that will keep on uh, being fresh to the marketplace. So you can make that money back even within three years. I think it's a five year to 10 year strategy when you're making a feature now. And distribution is almost like something that you should just take care of yourself and spend all the money on marketing. So your release becomes the thing that people are excited about. Um, because I know I haven't seen a lot of indie movies that I bet what I would fucking adore. Um, and it's because they're not playing in theaters mm -hmm. and if they were playing at the twin, I would have gone and seen them. I think a lot of those movies have aggregated to things like Netflix or other streaming platforms. But I know the big issue with those is they don't really put out how they keep track of those things. And like they, the budgets that Netflix have is so crazy to me because, you know, they're getting probably from investors and from subscribers and you don't really know what the returns are to the actors in that case, because I don't know how residuals work for a TV show or a movie uh, that's on that's from Netflix. So I, I think I think those movies are existing in sort of a bigger volume now than they were maybe even a few years ago. But they all live on streaming platforms that before COVID would then sometimes get theatrical releases, for, you know, for a short run to be considered for a movie. Like you know, there was the whole issue with Roma a few years ago, whether or not it counted. But uh, I think we're at a very interesting turning point in terms of how those are are seen. And I, I think there's merit in, in going either way. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is just modern artistry is marketing. And you're not going to be able to get away from it. Design goes into it. Personalization goes into it. Branding goes into it. But then connection to the material that's the most important part of good marketing so the fact that artists aren't you know throwing themselves into becoming marketers is like a purely moral thing um i i, I see it as a moral issue so i don't know that that's that's mainly it it's like if artists say i'll do whatever the fuck it takes to make my film um i think a lot of them would just start making really good commercials you know <laughs> and uh I don't know, man. I'm certainly like down to do that type of work. Uh, I, I wish I had some sort of artistic integrity behind why I do what I do. I just like making stuff. It's like what my calling has always been. So the generally, joy of creating. yeah, yeah, the joy of creating. But like, it's more of like a compulsion because I've always felt so bad that I'm like a fat guy and I like take up space that otherwise you know, maybe more skinny people could be in here or something. Like, <laughs> I think I get that because of, like, how I've been treated on airplanes my whole life. But, you know, I don't know. I just, it's definitely, like, my biggest personal issue is, like, my size. And, like, I fluctuate all the time. But, like, I'm at one of, I'm, at, I'm at a bigger, one of my bigger sizes these days. But even when I'm not, like, if I was the size I was in, like, 2015, I'd still feel like I was, you know, like a beluga whale or something. And I think, like, a lot of that has to do with, just like how I am because I want to I want to like change the way people think of me within the first moment they look at me I, I don't want their first impression to be a, like this dude who's like trying to take their space or something you know what I mean like mm -hmm. I hate that I offend people just with like my presence but you know that's just like my my personal shit and that's what I'm saying it's like I want people to connect <laughs> I'm gonna drop that in 22 minutes in because it's like I want people to connect you know I don't I don't want people to think that i'm just like some dude full of shit trying to like get eyes or something like yeah i think that's uh, the constant struggle in in yeah. the industry because you 
you want to come across as someone who's genuine, as someone who like legitimately cares. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, it's also a business. And I I would do this stuff for free, but I also want to be able to make like so people I've I've heard people asking, you know, what what is your definition of success? My definition of success would be to work enough that I could make a living but continue to create and like not add detrimental things to the world, but create and support myself. I don't want to be, you know, rich and famous and known the worldwide. I want to be maybe respected within my community and known for doing good work, but that's probably about it. I don't I don't need the like Oh my god, it's him. Yeah. I mean, that that's definitely a part of what success looked like before just as like a byproduct of what I like what I got into. I don't think so much I wanted people to look at me like that. I think I just want to make people happy and have them, mm-hmm. gi- you know, give over to what I'm putting down, you know, regardless of if it's me singing a song or you know, uh, the thing I'm talking about or the thing I'm performing, you know, it's sort of like, you know, maybe it's like a, a need for attention. You know what I mean? I, I'm just trying to like, like I said, change the headline almost immediately. So like, I think it's a compulsion. The other thing that I, I think that I sort of want to, if you call it a legacy is I want to be able to provide that like escape and, and safety in, in storytelling because I, over the years met a handful of people like, you know, cartoons. I love that's my thing. Voiceover is what I want to do. And so whenever I've met those people and, you know, the cool thing about voiceover is that they have all of like the trappings of those things, but no one, unless like you're a fan of that industry knows who you are. So there's no real chip on your shoulder. And they are the, some of the most genuine people I've ever met in my life. Like, it's like, thank you for my child. And they're like, no, thank you for letting me, you know, be in your home you know, every day, you know, after school and being able to provide that for somebody like, being knowing that I can give that joy to somebody else is something that just makes me feel so warm, you know? Yeah, man. I got to tell you, being on Scorpion, I I connected to a lot of people and my character was definitely a character full of pathos and, you know, a lot of anxieties and fears and, you know, especially now I feel like people need characters like that so they don't feel alone. Um and yeah, I I'm so lucky that I was able to have that opportunity happen when I was so ready for it because I I definitely threw myself into that role in a way that I think I probably couldn't these days, you know, just because there's so much to it and I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm like emotionally at a place where I could give over to somebody who had that many issues like I did at least season 1, like I was just all in you know but that's like I guess a different side of it too like it was a byproduct of the work we were doing people reaching out and saying thank you like I felt less alone and you know I feel like I see myself in Sylvester you know I've been able to get over my fears because I watched you do it and my son he struggles with social anxiety but he watched you do it and like quite literally the next day started walking up to people and making friends and saying, have you seen the show Scorpion? That's like me, you know, my brain works like that. And now he's got like a friend group, you know, so it's like crazy that um, I was able to do that for people and I didn't even realize that that's what was going to happen. I, I, to me, it was an acting job and to be honest, a way to move out of my parents' house. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I was 21. So yeah, I really threw my, my all at it because... 
I wanted to get, you know, I think the career out of it. And what I ended up getting was so much better. Um, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm going to fucking cry. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you good? Yeah, I'm good. Sorry about that. Yeah, just like a beautiful part of my life is the MS community and the community of people who have lost loved ones to MS. Um, a beautiful part of the people who follow me and listen to my music and still engage with my work are people who have MS and have lost people to MS. And there's just a, a storyline, you know? Um, and it's just a storyline in a TV show, but it means so much. And, uh, you know, the woman that my character married season two of the show was Walter O'Brien's little uh, older sister who had MS and, you know, was basically dying. And the whole time, you know, people were reaching out to me who had MS and I was able to like really see what this disease uh, does to people and does to families. And, um, you know, I didn't know my life was going to look like that. I'm, I, I take that over money, you know? Um, yeah. I know I, I made people not feel alone in their darkest moments. So that's sort of something that I, I think about every day. And I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to do that because I did not design that situation, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I was there to help. Um, so yeah, man, that's sort of why I like storytelling and why I like making stuff because at the end of the day, yeah, my compulsion, right? That's like the angle in, but at the end of the day, the payoff is like always, always connection. And that's what humanity needs more than anything. It's like connection, not whatever the opposite of connection is, disconnection, disassociation, isolation. So in regard to that, in regard to how you feel about story, what in, in media in the last, you know, 10 or so years, have you in front of and behind the camera and just from a production standpoint or a show, have you felt really exemplified that for you where you're like, holy shit, if I could like bottle that or if I could somehow be a part of that or just enjoy it for the, the reasons that you love story? What, what has been like a show or two or a movie or a piece of media that has really exemplified that for you? I mean, definitely, you know, I got to say Scorpion. We did so much. So, you know, I, w I would watch a lot of the episodes, especially in season one and season two, where I go, I can't believe we get to be on this show that does all this action and comedy and heart. Like, I sort of wish it could have been like an R-rated show. It would have been a little bit cooler, but it was really chill. I, I like fucking really loved our show. Uh, the first two seasons, I was like a an avid watching fan. Um, so I have to say that because I was stoked to be on it. But probably Shameless, I feel like Shameless does a really good job of commenting on what it is to be, you know, below the poverty line in a big city. I feel like what it what it's missing in a lot of regards, you know, are like the voices of people of color. But for the most part, I feel like it, it really 
exemplifies like American life and the, the, the way it's shot is pretty simple and beautiful. And, you know, every, every week is multiple stories about characters that you can get behind and it's cinematic. It's not, it doesn't really feel like it's television. It feels like you're watching, you know, like an indie film each time. And then I think, you know, as far as like, qual- like quality, cutting edge cinematography, you know, we're in the age now where so many things are synthetic and you don't realize it that I feel like it's separate. I got a feeling Avatar 2 is going to just like fuck with everybody's heads as to how he made that movie and people are going to start buying that technology up. You know, it's just like everybody I'm thinking of should get like an honorable mention. I don't know if there's one who wins. I guess Euphoria has done a good job of like taking music video cinematography and like being really artful with the camera and put it back into um, what you can do with television or what you can do with filmmaking because in the in like sort of the mid 2000s there was this line drawn where it's like if you have too much video editing if it's not just like one little sequence of the film you know if it's not used very strategically if it's just there for flair then you're just a music video director and like I like it when the movies look cool you know so (laughs) so I did I'd like have always disagreed with that but you know, a couple shorts that I had put into competition, I got that feedback and I was like, isn't that art? You know, isn't that like art? Like processing video is still processing your canvas, like your, your materials, like all all of it. You're still, even if you're synthesizing it, it's art. So it's like, I have a hard time answering that because like, well, cinematography is great, but like, how about inside synthetic shit cinematography? Like that's fucking who I want to talk to like 3d animators and the people who like create the fake cameras and matching it all up is great. But like, I don't know, like is the look of the film only physical really these days? I'd say graphic artists who, you know, have the ear of the director probably set the, the visual tone for most of the films like that are, that are big budget that are being made right now. I don't think it's like in their hands anymore. So yeah, I, I just feel like there's, no real way for me to answer that. I love Roger Deakins, but he's old. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to say all the honorable mentions, but like, they're also just old dudes. Like, yeah. And the new people who are like grabbing cameras tend to like want to emulate somebody and they want to be able to sort of do anything. You know, it's sort of like be a, a, a DJ who can play a rap song with a song from the forties, you know, or a reggae song mashed up with a fucking kids bop song. I don't know, you know, like use anything to create something new and original. I feel like that's like the new wave of filmmaking. So I don't know who like a good cinematographer is. I worked uh, at a place called hyper RPG, which is like a Twitch studio. They do a lot of streaming for like tabletop games and just pop culture stuff in general. And they had this show that they did that I worked on before quarantine happened, but had been going on for a while. And it's like this tabletop game that is like in terms of if you want to think of like genre and feel is like Twin Peaks and like horror and like it just like really heady stuff. What was really cool about it was the on the fly stuff they did. Like they run a really tight ship there. And so like effects and just like atmosphere was really important and they did, did all these cutaways like the the person who did the intro was Ray Wise which was fun like that sort of like experimentation and like live performance is always cool to me and then the other thing that I think of the one that 
there's two shows, but the one that still dis- is sticking with me, and I've brought it up a bunch before, is uh, Watchmen. Watchmen is like... Yeah, Watchmen is fucking great. Yeah, that show floored me because, you know, I was very reticent because I was like sort of contentious with if you know how you're going to do this, you're going to do a follow-up, you're going to do a sequel. There's a contentious relationship between the creator uh, and anytime anyone makes anything with it. But uh, I felt... What did he end up saying about it? Did he like it? Oh, he doesn't... He doesn't watch it because of how fucked over he got by by DC Comics. Wow. Yeah, I heard he like put a spell on it or like Is is this ca- essentially cast like, a I hex. I understand cuz he loved he loved DC. He loved superheroes so much. And then they sort of screwed him in his contract and he well, was it, like initially he, didn't he want it to be real superheroes? Like, initially from, he wanted it to be a bunch of these characters from Charlton Comics, but they were about to bring them back and so he made his own and he loved working on the comic book and then he felt like he told a definitive story beginning middle and end didn't want anything to follow it up and like pretty soon after that he left after being treated very being treated very badly by dc and he has said anytime anything comes out people will always ask him so you're gonna watch it and he's like no this is literally like a traumatic thing that happened to me. Why would I subject myself to seeing how they've changed my work? They're, they can do it. I don't care. But I'm not going to, you know, humor it. Damn, man. I, it, it's like I've watched everything Damon Lindelof has made. Mm-hmm. I felt like he finally did it right. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I had so many critiques of all of his other work. Season three of Leftovers, I feel like he he set himself up for such success and for some reason like just didn't deliver in the way that I I really wanted him to. It was still a wonderful show, but I feel like season 3 just could have been fucking spectacular and answered questions. Watchmen answered every question. It was beautiful yeah. and they did it in an artful way and they said enough is enough. We did it once. Good night. We did yeah. it. Yeah, and, I mean, fucking a. He, a. I've I've watched it like eight times during the pandemic. It's like, it's like an anthem. The whole series is like an anthem, and the music he uses, the the amount of theatrics he uses. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, it's perfect. But I'm saying like the like the you know older songs that he incorporates. Mm, the, the needle drops, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's so smart to use the actors he used. Everybody, they everything was a calculated choice. Every single person that was a part of it was a calculated choice to make the audience feel a certain way. Yeah. And people don't cast like that anymore. You know, people like have been casting just to make sure people watch their things. So you have like just grossly miscast films and TV shows all the time. True. Uh, in my opinion, because you're like trying to get people to see it. So it's like people with bigger followings or people who were hot that year, you know, instead of like the person who's right for the role. Yeah. So, I'm going to come in for the descent. I have two more things to ask. In sort of opposition to a previous question I asked, what is still something within the industry in terms of behind it in front of the camera that you think still needs to be addressed and is not getting enough attention? Female representation. I've just like seen how little space there is for like women to basically be like that's gross and offensive don't make a joke like that this is a workplace like there's just been so many moments where like i mean i it should have been said to me for sure but 
everybody and you know specifically people who are like not in our generation who are like sort of older and are the gatekeepers um for like the new jobs it's like bad to generalize but everybody just wants to be able to make any type of joke they want because it's a film set and it's like it's not a safe place for women um i don't think like any film set i've ever been on has been like specifically a safe place for women except for the ones that i've run after i like learned um what the fuck that meant so like for for my money that um and then i also think onset safety should be taken as seriously as on stage safety like stage combat you know there's always like rehearsal time calculated and scheduled and the union is a part of it you know you have to like have a fight call in order to be able to do the scene the way it's choreographed that night and you know on set for pretty much everything i've ever done we've never had a separate rehearsal day for the action that we shot and shit always went wrong so separate rehearsal days should be like legally something you have to do if you have an action scene that's like the other thing i think that should be implemented that might be easier to implement than a full structural change where (laughs) you know people in power are uh female because it's just not happening um but yeah those are the two big things i change what is the thing that you saw growing up what was the thing that inspired you to want to write direct tell stories what was was there a particular moment was there a particular thing you saw that made you go oh i have to do that i mean let me flip it on you man you've known me since i was 11 years old Mm -hmm. what did you think of me back then could you see it back then a lot of people tell me they could yeah you 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 loved being on stage I mean, I, I can't point to, yeah, because I didn't know you prior to that, I, I can't point to what the thing was that made you go, shit, I can do that and elicit, you know, those feelings. I just remember you always loving to perform. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true, you know. Started at a very young age. Yeah, definitely defined who I who I am from a really early age. I was sort of like a gross, pompous, arrogant person <laughs> because of it. <laughs> I guess I still am, Um, but I'm trying not to be. You know, I think growing up a theater kid, you have like this stick your nose up at everything mentality um, that you you can like easily jump onto, and I definitely did. So I don't know if it was my personality and like what I was doing that led me to the arts in the fashion that it did. I don't know. I think a lot of it was like my ego defining my character, you know? But it was you don't think there was a thing that you saw that sort of ticked that want to go after that like you saw a I mean, play or a movie? I mean, like literally like people stopped calling me chubby when I was on stage like making them laugh, you know? I'd say elementary school when I did Annie or The Music Man, you know? Mm-hmm. It was just like people stopped basically like pinching my cheeks and pitching my stomach and they started going, Hey, you were great up there. You know, sounded great. And, um, I just like noted that like, that's how I, I would like earn people's, you know, I want to say special treatment, but what it really is, is just like risk, you know, human to human respect through praise, you know? So there was never really a middle ground of like being looked at as not less than, Um, At least that's how I received it. So, yeah, man, I just, 
I don't know. It always goes back to that compulsion, I think, because once I like learned that, you know, by being on and being funny, you know, I became like this charming guy who was like always on all the time. Like I remember I specifically remember Clayton and you hanging out and Clayton was like, don't be the guy who plays guitar at the party. <laughs> and I was like and I was like, yeah. And then you start playing green day's time in your life and he's like they always fucking do that how do you know that you're 12 <laughs> and i just like remember that being the you know a big moment in my life where i realized like yeah i fucking i know how to make you not talk to me about my weight and my size so i'll make you talk about shit that you know about that i am just sort of saying i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about just like heard somebody say that and i re- i'm repeating it now because i'm 12 and i'm fucking <laughs> Don't talk to me about my body. That's like sort of my whole thing. I think I'm just like an open wound. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if there was uh, anything that I really saw that like inspired me. You know, I I would just watch everything to try and like heal the fucking wound. So like, I've seen it all, you know? I don't know if there's a favorite, but Mm -hmm. Music Man, Annie, both of those films, I, you know, wore out the tape, man. Like. Jordan and I would run them from Blockbuster like every other week. We'd be like, you know what? I just want to watch that one scene one more time. Once we like learned about Mel Brooks, we would recite the producers. I performed the producers at my bar mitzvah. You know, you rem- I remember you remembered that and talked about it when we were on Discord together the other day. Yeah. You know, it's like that type of stuff, you know, just always on, you know, always trying to prove that uh, my life was worth living, I guess. You know, I don't know what else, how else to put it. It's like my life was on the line or something. You know, now I'm like I'm now I'm like I'm chilling. I'm just like smoking pot all the time, hanging out, trying to like get through this pandemic without losing myself completely. But like, I don't know. I just I feel like I'm always going to be making stuff. I'm always going to be making people laugh. I'm always going to be doing that because like it's all I know. Like it's all I'm called to do, whether it's a compulsion or not. Like if I can help more people, this is the only way I've ever known how to do it. So like. I'm going to keep doing it. You know, I'm definitely not hurting anybody by doing it. I guess that's like me. So uh, with that being said, is there anything that you want to promote or where people can follow you if they if they so wish to on the interwebs? Fuck yeah. Um, I run a lot of stuff through my Instagram at Ari Stidham. And I, I've got this new podcast, which is the Absurdist Theater Company. And we're like launching episodes probably by the end of the month of February, if not like mid-March. Um, I don't really have the exact date because it's just me right now. But we, me, and the webpage are going to be launching uh, monthly stories. The The one we're launching this month is The Great Gatsby. And if you check out at Absurdist on Instagram, you can hear the one we did for Christmas Carol in December. And it's just incorrect retellings um as a as a character that i play for comedy um <laughs> named lou evelyn rivers so it's a lot of fun and if you're in if you're in for a 12 minute listen to something zany and silly and fun check it out i'm going to be making a lot more of them this year and then of course jacuzzi louie by D- dr tv my band my album it's been out for a couple years but you know we're living in that time where if you haven't heard it still new music to you check it out i'm on all all the streaming platforms jacuzzi louie uh well i want to thank you so much for coming on ari it was a it was a very very good talk thanks Uh, wesley i hope i didn't overshare oh man you're fine (laughs) uh so that's going to do it for this week thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time this has been lost in the story with your host wesley marshall 
Music composed by Chase Bathia, who you can follow on Twitter and TikTok at Chase Bathia and on Instagram at Gamer Composer. His website is chasebathia.com. Cover art for this podcast provided by Marcy Edwards, who you can follow on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Mary Hellscream. Thank you for listening. See you next time.